I'm McKinney Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Legacy Leavers, thank you for joining us on the Awaka My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show in the world where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to own their voice so they can create impact, prosperity, and legacy. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and the mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today, we have Maya Elias. She's the CEO of Built to Impact. She is a personal branding strategist that teaches experts how to position themselves as the go-to authority figure in their industry so they can confidently launch their signature offer. She's helped hundreds of clients get clear on their message, confidently increase their prices, have successful five-figure launches with their masterclasses, webinars, courses, and programs. Her main mission is to help women increase their impact and income with their gifts and expertise. She's been featured on Business Insider, Huffington, Forbes, Black Enterprise, and much more. Please welcome to the show, Maya Elias. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm excited for us to talk today. Um, I love your mission in terms of helping women, you know, just find and use their voice. I think that's so important. So I'm excited for today's conversation. Thank you. Me too. I've been following you on Instagram since 2019. So I love the evolution. I love your transparency. And I love that we both resonate with our mission of, you know, just helping women to to do better and, um, you know, have a greater impact. Yes, absolutely. So I love to start the show with an icebreaker question, because I believe that as women, we have so many different titles that we go by. And a title that um, I feel is not given enough significance is our name. And both you and I have unique spelling names. <laughs> so I would love to know uh, the meaning of your name. Yeah. So actually, my real full name is Mayatu, but I go, you know, by Maya for short. And I feel like my mom has told me the meaning of my name multiple times, but I never believed her. I'm like, I feel like you just <laughs> made this up, mom. So I never really held on to it. Um, probably means like God's child or beautiful woman or something like that. So I'm not even quite sure the the spelling of my real name is a combination of both of my parents' names. And so that's what really matters to me both, because I think I'm a great blend of both of my parents. So my dad's name is Matt and my mom's name is Jatu. And my name is spelled like Matt Jatu, but it's pronounced Mayatu. And I love that I'm the perfect blend of them because my dad is very brilliant, very disciplined, very hardworking, very focused. And that's the entrepreneurial side of me. And then my mom is very spirit led. She's very generous. um, And she just has such a pure heart. And that's the side of me that people get to see 
um, you know, when they build a level of trust with me or, you know, when they get a level of access to me and I, and I feel safe letting my guard down. So I love that I have both of those aspects because it makes me who I am today. I love that. I I love the uniqueness of the combination of your parents' names. Like, like I'm not knocking, you know, simple names like Jennifer or Michelle or anything like that. But like when there's, when it has like a, a deeper meaning, um, whether it be being renamed after a grandparent or the combination of your parents' names, I just love that. Yeah, I love it too. I definitely growing up, I was like, why did you guys name me this? But <laughs> I can completely relate. I got bullied as a child. I was like, what were my parents thinking naming me McKinney? Like that was just like torture. Um, I hated it back then. Kids made fun of me. They said zucchini, bikini, all kinds of things. And I thought that my, well, my parents did lie to me because they told me back then that it meant beautiful one. And now that I'm an adult and I know that I have to relearn and unlearn a lot of things, one of the things that I had looked up even further was my name. And it is actually Swahili for strength of character. Oh, I love that. Wait, that's way better than beautiful one. <laughs> right? <laughs> but as adults, we can give them grace, but it's like, why, why did you play that mom and dad? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's so many things as little kids that I feel like shaped who we are presently. So before we get to where you are today and your journey of how you got there, I would love to know, what did you want to be when you're a little girl? Um, When I was little, starting out, I wanted to be like a doctor or a teacher, you know, because that's all you know as a little kid. Like, you know, the basic careers. Um, And it's just so interesting because I think what's cool now is when we were a little kid, a lot of the a lot of the careers that are available to us now weren't even available to us then. So I'm so grateful that there's just a wide range of careers that are now available to kids and that there will be more. Um, But as I grew older, so I'll say maybe like nine or 10, I wanted to be, I said, I always said I wanted to be a computer programmer, not really understanding what that was, but I knew I just loved playing on the computer. I loved the internet. Um, We had the internet in my home ever since I was like five or six. So I was always exploring on the internet, just playing games and connecting. I built my first like drag and drop website when I was nine or 10. And I just loved that I could create things on the internet just using my creativity. And, you know, eventually I started professionally making money online as a web and graphic designer, but I feel really fortunate that I had access to the internet at such a young age um, because it really just helped uh, spark and nurture my creativity. Love it. Love it. Okay. So let's break down your story of how you got to where you are today. Like walk us through how you went from being in web design to what you do today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so started web and graphic design in 2018, 2019. Actually, first started um, when I was creating custom MySpace pages. Um, I saw other people creating these custom MySpace pages, and I'm like, this is so cool. And so I learned how to code and uh, do CSS for those of you who are familiar with web design at all. And I feel like anybody who used to customize their MySpace pages probably went on to be a web designer and a web developer because you were really forced to learn code back then, which is just, 
it's just really cool the things that you can be exposed to when you have um, access to certain things. So was creating custom MySpace pages, essentially helping people build their brand through MySpace because it was such a large platform for aspiring models and musicians. And then um, once people wanted their own platform, like their own websites, then I started um, tapping into that. And that was just a really fun time for me. I grew so much in terms of freelancing and entrepreneurship during that season. I was a web and graphic designer for seven years. Um, and then I eventually dropped out of college to do that full time, to be a full time freelancer. And that was really scary. Um, Definitely one of the scariest decisions of my life because I was really nervous about what would my parents think. You know, I had this addiction to their approval. I wanted to please my parents. Mm -hmm. They were essentially the God in my life, right? And I think that's that is kind of what it looks like for kids, just depending on their understanding of God. I grew up in a Christian household, so I was familiar with who God was. And I I had a relationship of knowing who God was and knowing who Christ was. But I do think that, you know, our parents are essentially our saviors in our mind when we're kids. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I wanted to please them more than I wanted to please my own desires and my own intuition. And so I, I don't think I had the spiritual maturity at the time to really be like, okay, well, what does God want for me? So I would ask myself, what do my parents want for me? And so it Mm -hmm. made it really challenging for me to go against their will of dropping out of college and working for myself full time. But that really shifted a lot for me when I made that decision to drop out of college. And, you know, making that decision, I started to grow my brand more, started working with more clients and helping them build their brand through web and graphic design. And that is when I really found my gifting of messaging, because as I was working with these clients, you know, they have the pretty website, we have the beautiful aesthetic, um, all of the nice graphics and all of that, but they really struggle to articulate the value of what they brought to their industry. And mm-hmm. so for anybody listening who is a web and graphic designer, you understand the pain point of having clients who want this beautiful website, but they don't bring you any words. <laughs> they just say, <laughs> here's colors and here's photos, but I don't know what I wanted to say. And so I started helping my clients craft their messaging write their bios, write their stories. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily a copywriter, but I recognized that my gifting was just in messaging. I know how to take information out of people's heads and structure it in a way that is going to be best communicated with their ideal client. And I'm so glad that I was able to find that gift because that is what I do now full time. And I am obsessed with it. Love it, love it, love it. I was on, I think it was one of your webinars or masterclasses last year, and you were sharing with the process of your story and the screenshots. And I'm all like, I'm totally in love with anyone who is authentic, just period. Um, but your authenticity within your brand to be transparent, like, is beautiful to see. So I would love to know, like, what does authenticity mean to you? I think authenticity is about being really clear and honest about who you are and what your desires are um, and operating in that honesty and operating in that truth. I think authenticity is about 
doing what fills your cup and doing what fulfills you despite when, what anybody else thinks about it. And I think, you know, when we talk about brand building, a lot of entrepreneurs and people who have built their brands say, they always say to be authentic. And, you know, that advice sounds so generic, but the reason why that advice is given is because it can be challenging to be authentic when you're in an industry or you're in an environment where there are so many different opinions. Mm-hmm. And when you're not clear on your own identity, these opinions are going to con- continuously shift your values and shift your own opinions, shift your, uh, so to speak, desires and shift who you are. So authenticity is being incredibly firm in who you are and what your desires are. What advice would you give to a woman that is listening right now that doesn't know how to monetize their, uh, I'm going to say their gifts, their passion? Well, I would say the first thing is just getting really clear at what you're great in. You know, I I, I want to see people make money and I want to see people um, make a lot of money and just charge well for their gifts. But it's first about understanding, do you know the value that you bring to the table? And I definitely think that a lot of people devalue their gifts and their experiences First, ask yourself, what am I really good at? How do I want to help people? What skill sets do I already have in my tool bag that I can leverage um, to create impact and to help somebody get to the next level of their life or in their finances or in their relationship or in their business or in their career? You have to first understand how your unique gift can help somebody else have a transformation in their life. So once you get clear on that, then um, you find those people, you know, that is your your target audience, you know, in, in marketing terms, and you want to figure out who your target audience is. You know, I say there are three really clear questions that you need to be able to answer, and it's what do you do, right? So what do you do skill set wise, service wise? Um, who do you serve? So who is your target audience? And then how do you serve? How do you mm-hmm. serve them? which is going to be your service. So once you get clear on answering those three questions, then monetizing your gifts becomes more clear and obvious. I love it. Okay, so we were talking before we started recording just about the pandemic because, you know, here in Toronto, we're gone back into lockdown. And I know that for a lot of entrepreneurs, the pandemic has definitely affected their business or how they function within their business. So I would love to know, like, how has your journey been affected since the pandemic? Has it affected how you serve? Oh, I mean, I definitely think, um, you know, we've had to shift a lot of things. But one thing about me is I do my very best to never operate in lack mindset, regardless Mm -hmm. of, of what's happening on the outside, because I can only control what is in my mind. Um, and I remember launching one of my programs right before the pandemic. And then when the pandemic hit, you know, a lot of clients were like, oh, what do we do? You know, feeling a little bit frantic, which makes sense, especially when you're seeing everybody else be really frantic with what's going on. And, you know, it's just really interesting as a coach being able to help my clients see the most success that they had seen in their business during a pandemic because I told them to stay focused. The pandemic affected people in different ways, but it did not affect everybody financially. So I remember telling them, stop assuming that people can't afford to pay you just because the world is going crazy. 
Um, and with that mindset, with having this mindset of there's still enough out there for me, you know, my clients were able to win. Um, you know, 2020 was the year that I took my company uh, past a million dollars. So just keeping that mindset um, really allowed me to still win. It doesn't mean that there weren't lows. It doesn't mean that I didn't have to make some shifts, but I wasn't going to allow what was happening on the outside to alter how I believe on the inside. Mm-hmm. Mindset is absolutely everything. Like the first quarter of 2021, I made more than I made all of 2020. And mm. I was one of those people that thrived during the pandemic, maybe because I'm naturally an introvert and just not having to be at networking events or around other energy. I just got into my groove. And so I love that you mentioned like it, the pandemic affected everyone, but not negatively. And I truly believe like with everything. There's good in all things and there's bad in all things. It's about what you choose to focus on and what your um, perspective is of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I'll say one of the challenges for my company, um, again, by the grace of God, it wasn't financially. It was just like, okay, how do we navigate this? Because we host live events. So um, at the beginning of at the beginning of every year, we we host a large event called Impact Weekend for women of faith who want to monetize their gifts and build a six-figure business. And so um, that's why we were really fortunate at the beginning of 2020, things hadn't shut down yet. Um, So it was like, we did this big live event. We had a really big successful launch and then everything shut down. So it was like, I was able to win in advance, which Mm -hmm. is why it didn't affect me the first year. Then the second year we were like, listen, we're still doing this event. We're going to figure it out. We did a hybrid event. So we had about 140 people in person and 140 people online. And, you know, it's, it can be a little bit scary because we're like, obviously none of us have ever been through this before where we are planning a a large live event in the middle of a pandemic. Like, of course, my event planner doesn't have a lot of experience in it. I don't have a lot of experience in it. Nobody does, you know, these are unprecedented times. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, but I am, through those challenges, instead of feeling defeated, I felt really proud of my team for being able to say, how are we going to show up and shift instead of shrink? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was really cool to just figure out how to navigate and have the audacity. Like I remember saying it on a lot of our um, planning meetings, like, wow, we really had the audacity to still pull this off when everybody is canceling you know, what they have going on. So I'm really grateful that we were like, oh, let's just have the audacity to say we're going to keep this going and see what happens. <laughs> right? <laughs> so what would you say is your superpower? My superpower is definitely messaging, being able to take somebody's idea and structure it in a way where the value is incredibly obvious. The way my brain thinks, I, I literally think in sales and content, I think in bullet points, I think in bolded words, I I create copy so easily. So if somebody is telling me, you know, what skill set they have or what they do in their business or what they want to see for their business, I'm able to extract that and craft it into a message that makes people want to buy from them, that makes their ideal client want to buy from them. So I love structuring things. I love a level of organization. And I really love structuring ideas into words. Mm, I love it. I love it. 
Okay, so what inspires you the most about what you do? What inspires me the most about what I do is seeing the shift in the mindset and the reality of my client's success. So I love when, you know, a client comes to me and I can see their brilliance and they have a level of awareness of what they're great in. Um, You know, everybody that I work with already is an expert. I'm just helping them to monetize it and, and help them to understand marketing. And so it's really cool when they come to me and they're like, Ooh, is this possible for me? You know, am I able to charge more? Am I really the type of person that can make six figures? And then working with them for three months and they're like, holy crap, Maya, like (laughs) I have high end clients. They really paid the price. The way we restructured my package really shifted things for me. I'm making more money. I'm working less. I'm able to hire now. Like seeing these women actually turn into actual business owners instead of people that just have a skill set and are struggling to make ends meet mm-hmm. that feels so rewarding to me it makes all of the long nights and early mornings worth it i love it okay so uh, speaking of long nights what what keeps you up at night i know that like no matter how positive we are no matter how great things um, or how great we may make things look <laughs> online. We all have things that we struggle with. So what keeps Maya up at night? It's interesting because I th- I think normally when people ask that question or answer that question, they're thinking of like, oh, what do I want to see changed in the world? Because I do feel like I'm operating in my purpose. I'm, I feel confident there. But the random things that keep me up at night might be like an unfinished things to do list or knowing that Um, something needs to be more organized in my house or something needs to be more organized in my business. I really do value structure, structure, order, and organization. And just knowing that something might be out of place in my life or business is what keeps me up. Mm, Okay. So I, as a coach, understand the importance of having coaches and mentors in your life. And I'm someone that believes that every even like even the best of coaches have a coach. Mm -hmm. So I would love to know if you've had any coaches or mentors that have helped you along the way. Oh yeah, absolutely. I purchased my first online course in like 2012 or 2013. And then I hired my first coach when I was 24 in I was like 23 or 24 in 2014. And that was my first experience with a mastermind and working with a high-end coach. You know, it was a a five-figure investment. It was definitely the most that I had ever invested. But it was the most important part about investing in yourself is not even necessarily to get the information. It's literally telling your subconscious mind that you are worth that money. Yeah. And, you know, now when I charge the prices that I charge, it's like, it feels so easy. It's like, I already know that I'm worth this money because I put that money in myself first. And I didn't have to wait for people to prove my value by them paying me because I paid myself first through investing in other coaches. Mm. Uh, You, you like broke down my thoughts perfectly. I love that. I totally, totally agree with you. I remember back in um, 20, let's say 2018, Goodness, I didn't even like understand where the money came from. But when I was investing to be certified as a coach, I wanted to be certified by my mentor, Bob Proctor. And that was a $20,000 investment. And at the time, I was going through a breakup, single mom of three, health challenges. 
but I made that investment into myself and not even just the monetary investment, but like you said, what that did for my mind, my subconscious mind and being able to now see my own value because I invested in my personal development. I invested in me and I know that that value will come back tenfold, not just in you know what I can charge other people, but the knowledge, the information that I have, uh, the belief that I have, like those things are so important. Yes, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting because my most successful clients and even thinking about marketing, it's like people make the investment, not necessarily because they believe in me, but because they believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, if you want to see success in my programs, you have to first believe in yourself. So everything else that I teach you works for you. Absolutely. I know my methods and my strategies and the templates and, and my curriculum frameworks, all of that works, but it only works if you believe in yourself enough to do the work and believe in the results that can come with it. Absolutely. Because a lot of people will invest in courses and I call them motivational junkies. They go to every uh, event, they buy every book, they sign up for every masterclass, but then they don't take any action. It's mm-hmm. because their subconscious doesn't believe that you know they can do it. They just consider, you know, consuming all of the information and expect it to just magically happen. But it's the belief that it's possible for them to do and they have to actually take the action. Yes. Yeah. It's like a, it's the sense of false belief. Like, okay, if I buy the course, I'm saying I believe in myself and you have to go layers deeper. Like I'm Mm -hmm. buying the course with the expectation of this result. I remember years ago um, with one of my first online courses, um, a client took my course and then maybe a month later he quit his job. And he was like, I got to be honest with you, Maya, when I first came in the course, I already had it made up in my mind that I would quit my job. And I think that's what really got me to understand. Like it, there's a huge difference in taking on clients that simply just have the money and clients that have the belief because it wasn't just my course that helped him get the results. It's he was going to get the results anyway. My course just helped him get there faster. And mm-hmm. those are the type of clients that I want where it's like they've already made up in their mind that they're going to win. They're just looking for the course and the framework that's going to help them get the win faster. Yes. Uh, I believe like you can't help someone that doesn't want to be helped. And when you have clients that want to be helped, they want to do the work, they believe in their abilities, then the results come, but it's like beautiful to watch their journey. Yeah, absolutely. So what's been your, I'm going to say your biggest failure that you've had in the last year? And why do you think that happened? Oh, my biggest failure. I think probably focusing on my biggest fear brought upon my biggest, so to speak, failure. So One of my biggest fears with growing my company and scaling my company is that it would be hard for me to maintain a level of quality and intimacy with my clients as I scaled. And so I've grown, I I took my company to a million dollars without doing any ads and just growing organically. And so With that being said, I'm so used to having intimate relationships with my followers, with my clients. And I always had this fear that if I ran ads and scaled my company, I would lose that level of intimacy. And so because I kept focusing on that fear, um, when I had a really big launch at, what was it, the beginning of this year, and we had a $1.1 million launch and we brought on 
whew, I think about like 86 new clients, like 86 to 100 new clients. And being able to onboard that many people at one time, you know, people mm-hmm. on the outside are seeing a large success, but until you are running a multi-million dollar company, you don't know the pressures that come with running a multi-million dollar company. So mm-hmm. people can speculate and they can scrutinize, but they have no actual idea because they have no actual experience of what that looks like. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we we enrolled all of these clients and um, what I'm trying to do as the CEO is, you know, make changes as they are happening and structure things um, in the best way that I can see possible. And because obviously I hadn't ever enrolled that many clients before, I could only take an estimated guess onto what I needed in terms of who I needed to hire and how the program needed to be run. So as my program is running, I'm making changes in the best interest of the clients as it's happening. Mm-hmm. And I think this this goes with anybody that scales, because I've, I've heard this um, with multiple friends who have scaled, you know, one to five million. And you know, if you don't have an actual relationship with your clients where they're willing to give you grace, they're looking at you like you're dropping the ball or Mm -hmm. they're not feeling seen. You're not giving them the level of attention that they want, which I totally understand, right? I don't think it's our client's um, responsibility to give us a level of grace to, you know, grow through our seasons of scaling. But all that being said, I think for lack of better words, my, my biggest failure was one, not having a, a stronger, I guess, boundary or gatekeeping of who we let in our program. Mm-hmm. Um, because then we got to see the people who were most upset with our growth or the people who um, couldn't adapt to changes easily. They just simply weren't a good fit for the program. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just understanding how we navigated things. So then once people were leaving our program and, you know, feeling upset and all of that, it then became a distraction from the people who stayed. And so, you know, I've, I've had a conversation actually with, with my coach now, who is a high performance coach, who, you know, he, he's interesting because he was like, I know you're going through this season now, but when you're running a $10 million company, this is going to feel like another Tuesday. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, right. So, you know, going through that season and just being so distracted for a long period of time, you know, with dealing with clients who are upset with you or who want to leave your program. When you're working with 20 clients in a year, it's easier to make 20 clients happy than it is mm-hmm. to make 95 clients happy. And so I, I had this naive mindset that I could actually please 100% of my clients because I haven't really had anybody leave my program because they were displeased with how I was running things. And so I didn't even have the, you know, the level of maturity to understand, like, as you grow in scale, it's going to be harder to please 100% of people and not even harder. It's actually going to be impossible. Pleasing 20 people. Yes. Pleasing 100 people. Maybe pleasing 1000 people. Absolutely not. It's just not (laughs) going to happen. (laughs) And so everybody. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I would say, you know, I, I, I don't really call it a failure because I learn my lessons, you know, quickly. Um, but you know, if I were to think of like the biggest distraction or, you know, the biggest failure, so to speak of 2021, that would absolutely be it. Well, I mean, to be able to scale like that and have, you know, over a million dollars on a launch and still learn lessons throughout that. And then 
still consider that, you know, the the failure that taught you a lesson, like it's still, it's still a great deal. It's still a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, I learned so much that's going to help me win even bigger in 2022. So while, you know, in that season, I hated going through it and it didn't feel good, but now on the outside of it, it's like, oh, I know what I need to know now to go to 5 million or to go to 10 million. And then there's going to be lessons again that I have to deal with that I'm not going to find enjoyable going through it. But, you know, now I have the wisdom of like, okay, this sucks right now, but it's preparing me for bigger. Yep. New level, new devil. (laughs) Yep, exactly. (laughs) So, okay. I know how a lot of people who are in nine to fives, you know, look at people who are entrepreneurs and assume how easy we have it or how great life is. Mm -hmm. So I know the stresses that come with being an entrepreneur, with being a business owner, so I would love to know, especially even, you know, in 2021, you um, scaling and having to deal with all of those challenges. How do you take care of Maya? Like, what's your self-care routine look like? Uh, self-care for me, just having time to myself. I I didn't realize how introverted I was until, what, five years ago when my brand really started to blow up. And when so many people have their eyes on you, you just want to be left alone. <laughs> So uh, just having alone time to myself, and I'll definitely even say in my 30s is when I've really begin to enjoy being single with no kids. I definitely think that I've spent a lot of my 20s like, who am I going to marry? Who am I going to have kids with? You know, uh, all of the things that I would assume a lot of women are concerning themselves with in their 20s in this biological clock. And now that I'm in my 30s and I see people who are married, even in happy marriages and who have beautiful families, and I admire it and I think it's so beautiful. But until that time comes, I am so grateful that I can wake up in my own bed by myself, (laughs) waking up with no bottles that I have to make or no diapers that I have to change. I'm so incredibly grateful for this season. So I'll say my self-care, honestly, is my alone time. And just the freedom and flexibility of how I want to use my time. So if I want to spend time by myself, I can. If I want to do a girl's trip with friends, I can. So just having that freedom and flexibility because nobody is dependent on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I laugh because I'm also like severely introverted. So I love my alone time, but I'm also a single mother of three. So, so it's like- You don't have much of it. <laughs> Uh, before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they can stay connected with you online. Yeah. So you guys can stay connected with me on Instagram at Maya Elias. That's M-A-Y-A-E-L-I-O-U-S. And a lot of people confuse that with Myalicious, which I don't know why. I guess it's the spelling <laughs> of my last name, but it's not Myalicious. It's just Maya Elias. So you can stay connected <laughs> with me on there. Um, I'm always giving out free resources and information on how to grow your business. And when you're ready to invest high ticket, I'm ready for you as well. Um, when you're, when you want to enroll in any of my live events or coaching programs, but I'm looking forward to connecting with you and just seeing how I can serve you through my content and, and skills. Awesome. Awesome. So I will definitely have all of your links in the detailed section of the episode so they can just click and connect with you directly. They won't have to search too far. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. So the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom. I used to call it like a rapid fire, but I realized 
I break my own rules too often. So we're just going to call it me asking you some reflection questions. We try to make it rapid and I'm like one word or one sentence. And then I'm like, no, nah, break it down. <laughs> so we're just going to keep it real. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Listen, we're being authentic. We're being exactly. Authentic. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Okay. So if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Ooh. If I could have a gigantic billboard, I would 100% be on it um, because I'm obsessed with myself. So (laughs) first I would be on it. And then the quote next to it would say, if being humble causes you to shrink than be something else. And that's a quote that I say often. So I just want more women to be obnoxiously confident in themselves. And that's 100% what the quote would say next to a photo of me probably dancing or twerking. (laughs) Love it. Love it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. I would say The Power of the Subconscious Mind by Joseph Murphy. It really gave me a clear understanding of just how important it is to guard our minds and just be really intentional about the thoughts that we think and the words that we say out loud. It's Mm -hmm. just, man, our our thoughts are just so incredibly important. So if y'all have the opportunity to read that book, which you do, please get it and read it and really start to be intentional about the thoughts that you have and the words that you say. I am definitely going to add that to my reading list. I challenged myself a couple years ago to try and read at least 12 books a year, and I never got anything close. And then last year in 2021, I read 21 books. Wow. So that's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to add that to this year's reading list. Thank you. I love it. Of course. Okay. So what new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? Five years. That's a lot of growth. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because every year I grow, I realize how smart I really wasn't the year before. (laughs) I feel you on that. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Ooh. That is a really tough question. The thing that is coming to mind for me isn't even, I guess, like a habit. It's just maybe been the conversation that I've been having with my therapist in terms of what does Maya want? Mm. Um, Really just understanding how to break this people-pleasing addiction. I naturally am a very generous person and I care about people a lot. And that can lend itself into people pleasing. And Mm -hmm. when you focus on people pleasing, you neglect your own desires. And so a question that I have to consistently ask myself and make a habit is, what does Maya want? And oftentimes I say, what does Maya want? And I have this asterisk that says, okay, what does Maya want? But will this affect somebody else negatively? Mm -hmm. How will so-and-so think about this? Is this in the best interest of our relationship? So I need to start asking myself or continuously ask myself, what does Maya want with no asterisks? I love that. I love that so many, well, for many reasons, but because one, you said that you're working on it with your therapist and I strongly believe in therapy. I think everybody should have a therapist. But two, because that's one of the main questions that I focus on with my clients from the very beginning, because a lot of us are 
programmed to do what other people wanted us to do, whether it be our parents or society or culture. And we very rarely ask ourselves without any implications, without any hindrances, like, what do we want? You know, uh, like sometimes, like you said, you'll ask yourself, what do you want? But then you add all these other things in there. And it's like, if I were to wave a magic wand and there were no obstacles, what would you want? Yes. Yeah. Love that. So important to think about and vision it and journal it and mm-hmm. look at it every single day. Like when I say it, it's just mind blowing <laughs> how manifestation <laughs> works. It's like you know it, but then you're so shocked by it. It's like holy crap! Yeah. I put this down and it's literally here right now, y'all. Yes, the subconscious mind. Get very honest about what you want. Even you don't have to tell the world, right? Just start with yourself. What do I want? Mm-hmm. Write it down, look at it every day, visualize it, remind yourself what you want, give yourself permission to pivot, make sure when you change your mind, you're changing your mind because it's what you want and not for the mm-hmm. sake of anybody else. And just look at it every day and and your life will go in the direction of giving you your deepest desires. You just gave so many gems in that little breakdown right there, because one, writing it down, people underestimate the importance of writing things down. And not typing it into your phone, but actually writing it down like on a piece of paper with like a pen or a pencil, because that does something within your mind. So when you write things down, that triggers us to to think. And when we think, we start to feel. We we create, you know, a vision in our mind. We're visionary people. And when you start to feel, that causes a chemical reaction within your body, but it also causes within something inside of you to want to act. And then you talked about um, looking at it often that that is a key thing with manifesting. You know, when people talk about vision boards and I won't get into how people do them wrong. Um, but when you have um, a vision board and you're looking at it regularly, uh, that vision, you're keeping it at the forefront of your mind. You know, you're attaching that to your will. It's like marinating in your conscious and your subconscious mind. And that's how you're manifesting it towards you because you're constantly like not only are you moving towards that, but you're attracting that because that's what you're focused on and what we focus on grows. Yes, I love that. No, we're definitely gonna have to go into the how people are vision boarding world. <laughs> <laughs> not just play like that. So it's funny, like <laughs> my vision board is a lot of words, maybe because I'm mm-hmm. a word person. And I don't put images of anybody else on my vision board. I don't know if that's smart or if it's just me being vain, but it's like if there's a no, photo of board, it's me. <laughs> okay. And then the words are going around it. Rich, wealthy, beautiful, healthy, in shape, you know. <laughs> so and and <laughs> we need the breakdown, girl. <laughs> okay. And the reason I said that is because I've been having this conversation this week with some friends that want to do vision boards. And I'm like, but y'all doing it wrong. <laughs> Because most people, you know, they find a bunch of magazines and they flip through it and they cut out pretty pictures and things that they think that they want. And then they put it on the board and then they never look at their vision board ever again. And like, oh, well, vision boards don't work. No, first of all, you need to set your intentions first before you sit down and look for anything. Set your intentions because you need to be very specific about what you're putting out into the universe. Like if you're a believer, God is a God of order. So he needs the instruction. So you need to be specific first about what it is that you want for your life. And then if you're going to use pictures, because as people, we think in pictures, like if I said the word dog, you're not going to think of the letters D-O-G, you're going to think of a picture of a dog, right? That's how our our 
minds work. Mm-hmm. So you're going to then cut out, if you want a dog, you know, the type of dog that you want, not mm-hmm. just a random dog, because you don't want to attract a random dog, right? You're, you need to, the specific, what do you call it? Specificity. So you got to be very specific. And then um, there's nothing wrong with putting words on your vision board because I do that as well. And then if you're going to cut out pictures of other people, then take a picture of yourself and cut out your face and put it over that person's face. Like if you're manifesting a specific body type or whatever, like, mm. so there's so many incorrect ways that people do vision boards. And then they're like, oh, vision boards don't work. And then you also have to have it somewhere where you're going to see it regularly to keep that vision at the forefront of your mind to help you manifest it. Mm. Girl, if you don't make <laughs> this own episode, stop playing <laughs> us. Stop letting your listeners go into the new year with these janky vision boards that aren't doing anything different or transformational in their lives. I need this as a solo episode. <laughs> I'm good. You know what? Just for you, I'm going to create a solo episode on setting vision and intention for 2022 because there are a lot of people doing it wrong. <laughs> there are a lot of people doing it wrong. And I'm sorry to coach you on your own show, but you know, like, as no, I love it. Messaging your content, it's like, we got to, because it's like, we got to gut punch people with our titles and our content. So for those of you listening who are struggling with content, your title needs to like gut punch people. Like, it has to be a why your vision, like why your vision won't manifest in 2022 or why you're doing vision boards wrong because people automatically assume that they know the answer or they automatically assume that they're doing things right. So if you say like, oh, how to, how to set intentions in 2022, people are gonna be like, oh, I already know how to set intentions. If you say how to create a vision board, people think they know how to create a vision board. It's like, why your vision board is janky and your year sucks year after year. (laughs) That is going to catch my attention. (laughs) (laughs) That is going to be the title of the episode. I love it. (laughs) Thank you, Maya. (laughs) I got you. (laughs) I love it. And don't apologize for coaching me on my own show. I am one of those people. I am totally coachable. If I'm doing something wrong, I want you to tell me. I don't want you to have me continue doing it wrong because you're afraid to offend me. I would rather be offended by the truth than coddled by some BS. So thank you. (laughs) A word. I hope y'all caught that because I'll definitely say that's one of my big learning lessons too. Again, you know, with people pleasing, you know, having a conversation with, with my coach, it's like being okay with telling the truth. And I wrote a post about this other day, like people pleasers are often liars because they're going to withhold the truth or they're Mm -hmm. going to tell a lie so that they don't offend the other person. And so one thing I had to ask myself was, do I want to prioritize people's feelings or do I want to prioritize their future? And so Mm -hmm. what you said just there was an example of that, where it's like, Am I going to be worried about offending you or do I, am I more concerned about you doing something better? So yeah. I, I hope y'all caught, caught all of that. Yeah. It, you know what? And I, I hope they caught that with ears that are healing because I believe that healed people listen differently. I find when people are um, in a place of hurt or um, you know anything like that, when they're on a low vibration, everything comes across as an offense. So mm you know, a closed mind can't accept new ideas. So they're like not open to the correction. And that's why I said, I like, correct me, girl. If I'm wrong, correct me. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I've been going through my healing journey. And in order for me to continue to heal and be able to help others get to that level, like work needs to be done. Mm, So good. 
Man, I, I hope y'all are blessed by this episode. I'm acting like it's my show. I'm like, well, guys, thank you for tuning into A Walk in My Stilettos with my Elias and Amy Smith. Um, we will see you next week. Tune into the Vision Board episode. <laughs> The perfect ending. I'm not even going to ask you any more questions. Honestly, that was like the perfect note to end off on. Thank you so much, Maya. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, to all of you legacy leavers out there that are listening, I hope you took down some gems and make sure that you screenshot this week's episode and tag both myself and Maya. You can tag Maya at Maya Elias, M-A-Y-A-E-L-I-O-U-S. And you can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling. Mm-hmm.